This week on Art of the Air features two artists in the South Shore Arts Neighbors Exhibit, with David Ceceris, whose art is about filling space with form, line, shape, and color, and Mary Porterfield, whose work reflects the individual narratives by her work in healthcare. Our spotlights on Dune Summer Theater's 2024 season with artistic director Steve Scott and managing director Elise Kermani. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart. Express yourself to art. And show the world your heart. Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, WVLP 103.1 FM, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air is heard every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Also heard on Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at WVLP.org, and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on WDSO 88.3 FM. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Media. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. We'd like to welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight from the Dunes Summer Theater. We have the artistic director, of course, Steve Scott, and Elise Kermani, the managing director, and they're all part of the Dunes Arts Foundation. Welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Good Hi. to see you both. Hi. Yeah, Esther. it's very good to see both of you. So we first want to talk about your 2024 season, which you just had auditions for, and now you're getting ready to gear up for. So, uh, Steve, tell us about some of the shows you've picked, kind of a wide variety of things. And I guess your opening show will be uh, May 31st. So tell us about your season. Okay. Well, yeah, it's a it's a pretty varied season. Uh, the first show is a play that lots of people have heard of and, and probably seen in other productions, Blythe Spirit by Noel Coward, which is a wonderful kind of farce about... A man whose departed wife comes back to visit him as a ghost. And then, <laughs> as we say, hilarity ensues. It's really, it's one of the funniest plays ever written. Uh, it's really a classic of, it, of its kind. And I think it's going to be a great uh, way to kick off a, a, a really interesting season of the Dunes. So, yes, that runs uh, uh, starting at the end of May uh, through the middle of June. So I'm happy about that. Uh, the second play is a, one of my personal favorite plays, a play, play that I've never uh, been able to actually produce or direct. It's a play called Tally's Folly by Lanford Wilson. It's a really charming little play that takes place in the uh, during World War II. And it's about two people, two kind of misfits uh, in a, a small town in Missouri who find each other. There are lots of obstacles to their uh, relationship, but ultimately everything ends very, very happy. 
Uh, it's a lovely play with lovely characters, and uh, I think it's going to be uh, a, a play that hasn't been done in a while, but I, I think it's a play that our audiences are really going to take to. And then our third major production is a musical of The Bridges of Madison County, which, of course, was a very popular film uh, a number of years ago with Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood. Before that was a best-selling book. And it's a, a, a the romantic story... Uh, again, taking place in a small town, this time in Iowa, of a housewife who has found the boredom in her life and uh, all of a sudden is encountered by a photojournalist who is in town to uh, to document the, the, the bridge, uh, the famous covered bridge that is in their town. And uh, a wonderful ro- romance, and I won't tell you how it ends, with a beautiful score by Jason Robert Brown. Uh, it's a play that hasn't been done much around here, so I'm anxious to introduce audiences uh, uh, at the Dukes to it. I think, uh, again, I think it's going to be something they take to a great deal. So, Steve, was that kind of your overall theme? Because there seems to be quite a romantic spirit theme going on. <laughs> you you know, I didn't plan it that way, but it kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's romance in three very different situations. Yes. Uh, so uh, I guess it speaks to the romantic in me. Uh, so I hope it speaks to the romantic in a lot of people, and I think it will. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. And then, of course, we have our Broadway cabaret uh, in August, uh, followed by the second iteration of our New Plays Festival, which was very successful last year for us, uh, featuring works by local playwrights uh, and, and kind of introducing you to some of the wonderful creative people we have in Northwest Indiana. What a season. And uh, how many plays do you do in that uh, Voices from the Heartland? Uh, we, last year we did four, uh, and I think we'll probably do the same number this year. And but uh, a, a couple of the plays that we did in the in the uh, festival last year were so good that we're kind of thinking of them for future productions. So it's a lovely well, way of kind isn't of, that kind of the goal? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we're we're discovering writers and bringing them to the fore, and uh, hopefully we can uh, kind of shepherd them into full production somewhere down the line. So. It, it, that's one of the most exciting uh, parts of my job for me. Yeah, your own version of Project uh, Runway. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> without Heidi and Tim. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's uh, I I love kind of discovering people and kind of like, giving them their due as as artists. So uh, yeah, a boost. <laughs> we'll see where that goes this year. I think you had one night that had a couple of short. Um, theater pieces, yes. is that correct? So maybe yes, more we, than four. Yeah, last year, one of the evenings had three short plays. Uh, and we'll, we'll just see what we get in submissions this year. Uh, so we had four nights, but I think a few more plays, yeah. Well, at least we want to kick it over to you and give you a little time there to talk about how Dunes Arts Foundation also supports classes and camps and, and things like that, and those are coming up. So tell us all about that. Sure. Before, I just, can we talk about season tickets? and what's, Sure, go what, ahead. Um, so, I don't know, do we talk about prices here on this? You can. We can? Okay. So, for $150, you get a season ticket. You're a subscriber to our season, and it's really the best deal because... Uh, you will be invited to opening night um, champagne um, uh, toasts with the actors and crew. And we have a special um, event in May just for subscribers as well. So, um, uh, yeah, our music theater, 
um, is starts July 9th through the 25th. It'll be Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursdays for three weeks, three days a week. And then we have a performance on July 27th. And you can find out about that on dunesarts.org. You can get tickets by slash tickets or to go to the education you do uh, slash education, but we've got lots of buttons on there that you can find your way around. Well, it's always a privilege to have you here at Dunes Arts Foundation, Dunes Summer Theater, and of course, their wonderful uh, classes and camps they offer. Elise Kamani, Managing Director, Steve Scott, Artistic Director, break a leg on your upcoming season. Thank you very much, right, Mary. It looks like a great forthcoming season. Congratulations. Thanks, Thank Esther. And a quick spotlight extra, applications for Lake County Public Library's third annual Creative Arts Summit are due March 18th. Information is at their website, lcpl.org slash cas. That's lcpl.org slash cas. Art on the Air Spotlight and the complete one-hour program on Lakeshore Public Media is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. This is Karen Maravilla with It's Just Serendipity, and you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM and on WVLP, 103.1 FM. We would like to welcome David DeSaris to Art on the Air. David's art is about filling space with form, line, shape, and color, creating a visual balancing act. He began his career as a sculptor, but now painting is the mode in which he expresses his vision. He is part of the Neighbors exhibit at South Shore Arts in Munster, Indiana. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, David. It's very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Well, David, and we met before at a Lebesnik happening, oh, I guess, a, a right. couple months ago. And it was uh, nice to meet you face sure. to face. But I'm so glad to have you on the show. And, of course, like we do with all of our guests, we want to know a little bit more about you. I call it your origin story, how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us all about yourself. Okay. So uh, I, was, I was born and raised around the Washington, D.C. area. So I spent my, you know, my younger days, I was... D.C. was kind of my stomping ground. And, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in the museums there, which was really fortunate because I think they're some of the best in the country for sure. You know, I got saw a lot of retrospectives of David Smith and Rodin and uh, Francis Bacon. And, uh, you know, so the art was just, you know, it was just really good stuff to learn from. So. so, so the the artists that you just mentioned are those the ones yeah. that you feel in you know really captured you, or were there others during like you know your well, young age? Well, I mean, you know, when I was starting out, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I mean the the early early uh, really, it's it, it's like an, an an unlimited number of artists that have been influential and inspiring. You know, I was a, uh, I started out as a sculptor. So I was always at a younger age, I was always going for the sculpture, you know. Right. Uh, That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, uh, you know, it, when you're young and you're developing your vision and you don't really, you know, you really, uh, you don't have it yet, but then you start seeing things and some of that comes through instruction and, but most of it comes from just looking at art. And, uh, you know, as a sculptor at that time, I was in New York and and I saw a uh, retrospective of Henry Moore. And I, could, <laughs> I was like, just going to mention him because that's who that's what your paintings remind me of. They have <laughs> that, that right? they have that sense yeah. of Henry Moore. Wow. And when you mentioned Francis Bacon, I went, 
Ah, it's coming together. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, I don't like, I don't think they look like Henry Moore, but I think it's the power, you know, in those. Of the shape. Exactly. You know, and I remember that with that particular show, it was like the first time that I started to see forms in space. Yeah. I mean, it was like clicking, you know, it was like, and then it was just nonstop from there. And uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I, you know, I grew up, so my young days in DC and then uh, I went to, and, and I wasn't planning to be a, you know, an artist when I went to college, I went to college in North Carolina and, uh, and I just happened to take a painting class and I, you know, I, I remember uh, I was painting this picture of, uh, you know, this weird guy with his teeth. And um, this was in like a private Catholic college. And the the painting instructor was a, a little nun, Sister Theothane. <laughs> and she came in with this other girl and they start laughing. And I'm like, well, what's so funny, you know? And they're like, well, nobody paints teeth. And I'm like, oh, really? I didn't know that. So, but now I do. I use paint a lot of teeth these yeah. days. So, but so anyway, I uh, I was you know starting out like painting, like just about everyone does. And uh, there was a really good printmaking program and photography. And I you know I took all of that stuff, you know. But somewhere along the way, people said to me, you know, you're a sculptor. And so all of a sudden, I was a sculptor, and I. <laughs> So what work were you doing at that point to have them say that? So what was your sculpture like? Well, I think I took one sculpture class and made one piece of sculpture, and <laughs> which was not very good, you know. But I, I think I think you get into schools and, you know, people see you and they kind of project, you know, their uh, expectation or who they think you are. And right. sometimes it has nothing to do with what you're doing. It might just be the way you looked, you know, long hair and a beard. And, <laughs> and I, I kind of looked like a sculptor, maybe. I don't know. You know, but so I but I spent a long time, you know, 40 years making sculpture. I I apprenticed with a, a, a local figurative uh, sculptor in North Carolina for a couple of years. And he taught me techniques and you know, and I found out that I had kind of a natural facility for the human form. And, uh, you know, so he had me doing, I was doing like life-size pieces and really, really got me uh, going in sculpture, you know. So, yeah, so I did that. And then, uh, you know, I, I I did the focused on, you know, the human form and figures for a long time. And then uh, when I got out of school, I started carving wood and started going a little more toward uh, non-objective, um, you know, large scale steel and wood constructed pieces. Um, in fact, I have a piece that I did in uh, 1989. It's at uh, Purdue Calumet. In it's you know that piece? Okay. Yeah. So a little interesting story about that piece is, uh, you know, that was in, in 89. That was a long, long time ago. And my daughter went to Purdue and she was graduating and she's like, oh, dad, we got we have to get a a picture of, uh, you know, us together in front of your, your piece, you know, in front of your sculpture. 
I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, so we did the graduation and we went outside and and we had to wait in line to to get the picture. (laughs) And and it occurred to me that like all these years, you know, they're having graduations and, you know, kids are getting their picture in front of that sculpture with their family. That's so elegant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she had the idea, well, maybe we should like do a book and get all the people that to send their pictures in. And we haven't done it, but I think it would be a great idea. I think idea. it's a sweet oh, idea. That's a great idea. Yes. And you're talking 20 years plus. It's, you know, it's a long time. It'd yeah. be your own yearbook. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, since we're a radio, why don't you describe that sculpture briefly to our audience if you can? So it's a, uh, it's kind of a, it's like a 20 foot span it's an arching aluminum and wood piece it kind of when i was in grad school i uh i was really into like buck knives and and so i i kind of did that as a a project working with another with the the uh jewelry professor who was pretty cool and uh and that was what I was going to do. I was going to make these large scale things that kind of emulated buck knives or knives. And, you know, people used to tell me that my pieces were a little dangerous. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but yeah, so that, that piece kind of came from that. And it was commissioned by, uh, you know, by the school at the time. And uh, Rose Trachtenberg, I think, made that. She was around in that, the area. Um, she made that deal for me. She had a gallery in Maryville. Mm-hmm. So, should I keep going? Oh yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing, the other question I have is, uh, and this is true of many artists, is that you have a day job and an artist job at some point, and uh, how those right. intersect. You know, does that help you with your sculpture? What you do as your day job, and I don't know if you do your day job anymore, but uh, tell us a little bit about the intersection of your art and day job. Well, I mean, early on, you know, when I was 18, 20, you know, I worked, my family was in the construction business out east. So I, I worked on as a carpenter and as a bricklayer and as a laborer. And, you know, so I got a lot of skills and knowledge of the uh, construction business or, you know, especially as, you know, with as a hands-on. And, and yeah, I would say, I would say it was an asset to the sculpture for sure. And even now with my paintings, you know, cause I, I paint on uh, wood panels, you know, so I frame everything myself and I build all the panels and, you know, so it's good to have those skills. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I used to, when I was carving that wood, I told you I started carving wood. It was in the early or the late seventies, maybe, but uh yeah, I would work all day and then I would come back and I was in my parents' garage and I would have a big old chainsaw and <laughs> I would carve wood, you know, and uh, assemble. They were kind of large, you know, well, they were like six, seven, eight feet, you know, tall. And I was like assembling these things at, you know, like a tripod, you know, these, you know, I'd go out into the woods in my van with the shag rug and, uh, you know, load up. <laughs> what color was it? No. <laughs> it was like gold. <laughs> yeah. I can but, see uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I ruined it because I, I mean, I was loading all kinds of falling logs and stuff and taking them home. But, 
yeah, so so I did that, and then I so I was after after undergrad school, and I was doing the wood carving, and I I was off for like a couple years. I didn't. Then I went back to grad school, you know, and I went into grad school, and I was you know, learning to weld and making these kind of large scale wooden steel non objective pieces for you know almost two years and then when my thesis show came around you know the whole time i'm doing these you know non-objective work i was drawing i was like doing portraits and i was making these little like you know 10 inch tall wax figures you know human forms it was just kind of like i just never really stopped drawing and making uh, so were those know. in preparation for casting them or were they just for the experience of making? I was just just doing them because it's just kind of like, you know, what I did. I would do this and then I would do that. And then so I'm going to I'm going to ask you a quick question going back to those sure. first wood sculptures in your parents garage. So yeah. when you when you would go out and collect your wood and then bring it back, were you then doing drawings or were you just going no. right into the sculpture? No, I would go right into the sculpture. Yeah. I I really like people, sculptors like David Smith and Mark DeSuvero. And I mean, like Mark DeSuvero, his, you know, he goes with a crane. You know, it's like, it's, it's just like real intuitive. And uh, you start seeing the, the same way I, I, I kind of approach the paintings the same way. You know, you start. You know, you put a mark down and then you see the next mark and you see the next one and and it just kind of goes from there. And you, you know, sometimes you might have a little bit of an idea, but you don't really know. And yeah, then just a bit. I just uh, I just did these three paintings, um, you know, last month I was working on them and I was having a hard time. I was usually I don't have a difficult time, you know, coming up with ideas, but I lost my brother recently. And mm -hmm. so I was like feeling like, yeah, I, I don't know if I could even do this anymore. And, and, uh, I did put out two of them. And then one of them I was, I was fighting with, I was painting over it and going over and over. And, uh, you start having a conversation with the panel you're working on. <laughs> it's like the panel saying to me, well, you made three of us and the other two you gave, you know, you did pretty good. And now you're going <laughs> to skimp on me. <laughs> you know, you gotta, mine always goes. <laughs> what's yes. that? No, I say that? mine is I'm always I'm always asking, what do you want next? <laughs> right. right. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's healthy, but maybe I guess it is. It's, it's worked out. But yeah. So so grad school and then some of my thesis exhibit for grad school. I had all these, uh, you know, they were like five feet tall, kind of linear. Uh, you know, a lot of people compared them to Giacometti, kind of. Mm -hmm. They were more, yeah, they were similar but different. Very different, and I but had, very similar, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's okay, you know. They weren't copies, which is, <laughs> but, uh, and then I had like the perimeter of the room with all these self-portraits that I did just my head you know and uh and there was it was a little you know people were like uh well where'd this come from you know where you were doing this other stuff and now you're doing this but uh you know and larry you might be interested in, i was i minored in photography so so you know a lot of photographers are irving penn and 
you know, like I was always looking at photography, just always compositionally. I think that's always helped me out. But um, I guess I, I guess I always, I think like it doesn't really matter what you're doing. It's like, well, I could have been a sculptor, I could have been a painter, I could have been a. It's, it's you got to be doing something. It's like you're if you're an artist, you know, if you don't have the, you know, the facilities you know, of the dark room or you don't have a big sculpture studio and the capacity to do what you want to do there, then you do something else. Well, I know? think they all inform each other. I mean, you look at the painting, yeah. especially the one behind you, you can see your sculptural background. Sure you can, can. Right. see um, photographic composition and lights. And I mean, it's all there. Yeah. You right. Know? Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you're, and so your paintings now, <laughs> Um, right. You know, right. I was quite, and in fact, like in my in my notes as I was looking into your work, it's so funny. I had put like Henry Moore down. That's what I got from your. <laughs> that's your amazing. Paintings. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's like so. When you mentioned him, I was uh, going to mention him, but yeah. there is that that qual. It's like a huge quality of that shape. But then it's so amazing how you know the color palette. I'm very interested in how you came about your skin. Um, palette, but you have this amazing ability to take something of um, like substance, and yet it's still skeletal at the same time. So you've got this these two things happening in these images. So I'm just so curious about how you view your your painting. Um, well, again, I I did a I just posted something the other day on uh, my Facebook story. And it was like this little container of paint, and I had Jesus written on top of it. And uh, I just, last year, I did a series of, I did 14 paintings of the Stations of the Cross. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted Jesus to be the same color <laughs> all the way through. So I, I had to, I marked the jar where I mixed up the Jesus color, and I wrote Jesus on it. And uh, one person did ask me about it, like, what, what is that about? But, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I don't. Well, I just like, but your skin tones, like this, like the painting right. that's behind you, you've chosen, right. um, you know, and they are consistent throughout the paintings. And so I'm just yeah. wondering, what was that first painting like when you're, you're, you know, you're in front of your canvas and you're deciding what you're going to do? So I, I don't really think I'm not like a, I'm a painter. I consider myself a painter now, but I'm not, I mean, there are people out there who they're really painters. I mean, they know how to mix paint and how to apply paint and manipulate it. And um, before I started painting, I was drawing, you know, and I drew and I drew and I was doing these, you know, six foot tall drawings and charcoal. And, and I still, I think I kind of still approach the painting, you know, with a lot of drawing, yeah, you know, it's like, like the one you're looking at behind me. I mean, I draw it in and like, sometimes I think, well, maybe I should just leave this as a drawing because they come out, the drawings look pretty good. And, uh, you know, but I want to go further with them and I want to introduce the color. So I think there's a lot of drawing, um, incorporated and there's, and, you know, with, in terms of like the relation to the sculpture, there's a lot of tactile sensibility, you know, I mean, cause that's when I was doing sculpture, you know, like if I was doing an arm, I'd like, you know, feel my arm or, you know, there's a lot of, 
sensory, uh, you know, transformation like that. Right. You know, a question I ask a lot of our artists, is there a medium that you have not explored that you've been wanting to outside of, you know, you've gone from sculptor and you've touched on photography and of course your current painting work. Is there something that you want to do that you haven't done or thinking about? Um, Well, no, not, you know, I'm not real curious about different mediums at this stage. I mean, I'm more, you know, like I did some circular paintings and, but I do want to do some more sculpture. I mean, I want to, you know, there was a reason I didn't have the space and, you know, so, but I would, I would like to, I think I, I'm feeling like I want to make some more sculpture. So it's a good know, palette can, cleanse anyway. I like to <laughs> jump. Like if I've been really stuck on one thing, I do like to go like in a different direction just to like a, yeah. a breath of fresh air. So, right. Tell us how you got hooked up with the neighbors exhibit and like what are some of the pieces that you have in that? Um, well, I mean, I've known Tom and Linda for a long time. And uh, I think, you know, when I started doing the painting, I mean, I, I was doing sculpture, just sculpture when I first met uh, Linda when she was working at the uh, was NIAA at that time. But uh, yeah, I mean, Tom really started relating to my paintings and, uh, you know, he had said, well, we're going to have an exhibit at some point and we're going to have you in it. And, then, and and I think, you know, I think it was just a matter of, well, this one seemed to fit. And, uh, you know, and they looked at some paintings and selected some and then, you know, we kind of edited. And, um, yeah, all the all the paintings that are in there and and a lot of my paintings all have to do with relationships, you know, and uh, I, I see them a lot as like you know, relationships of, uh, of love, you know, mm. and, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a romantic love. It could be, you know, brothers or, you know, sister and brother or parents and, you know, but some kind of love, there's usually like a lot of religious symbolism from my, from my upbringing, you know, my, I was jaded by the church, <laughs> but, but it's never cynical. It's always, you know, some kind of a passionate uh, thing, you know, something, you know. Right. But, but yeah, yeah, I mean, so so some of the uh, the paintings that they picked and that we picked together, you know, I think reflect a lot of that. Well, okay. we only have about a minute left here, and we want to give you a chance to talk about not only that current exhibit, which is uh, running through, uh, I think, the end of this month in March, but also... Uh, what you have, any upcoming exhibits, how people can find your work online, how they can get in touch with you, maybe for a commission. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I'm on Instagram, and I, I post a lot of my work, you know, new and in progress on Instagram. And it's at Deseris David, uh, last name, then my first name. And then I have my website, which is daviddeserisart.com. And, uh, you know, I try to keep that updated on the website. You know, there's sculpture and there's uh, paintings and I think I have some literature, you know, my story written in there. Um, yeah, so so there's a lot of stuff on the website that uh, that I've got. Um, I think it's a great exhibit. I think it's uh, one of the best uses of that space that I've seen. Tom and Linda, they just did uh, an amazing job and uh 
really appreciative of, of that. The other artists are, you know, it's good company to be in. So very, well, very we've interviewed happy. and you'll be our uh, fourth of, a, of six interviews of the people that are in the neighbor's exhibit. It's David okay, DeSaris. He's uh, currently at the uh, neighbor's exhibit, South Shore Arts. It's going to be closing out at the end of the month here. And his website is daviddesarisart.com. And there'll be a link on our website. David, thank you so much for coming on Art of the Air and sharing your art journey. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's nice to meet you. Yeah, okay. it's nice spending time. Thank you. All right. Okay. Hi, this is Dorothy Graydon. I'm a contemporary artist in Northwest Indiana, and you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP 103.1 FM. We would like to welcome Mary Porterfield to Art on the Air. Mary is an occupational therapist, art educator, and painter. She has created a very personal body of work charting the progression of changes families and bodies endure as we adapt to aging and all the physicality and paraphernalia that is part of that process. She deeply conveys the emotions creating large works using oils that are layered on transparent materials. She is part of the Neighbors exhibit at South Shore Arts in Munster, Indiana. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Mary. It's very nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you, and I really want to thank you for this opportunity. And of course, like we do with all of our guests, we want to know a little bit more about you. I call it your origin story, how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us all about yourself. Um, and thanks. Thanks again for having me. I, I guess I have a unique background, as, as you mentioned, and that I have my original history as an occupational therapist. I went to WashU in St. Louis, and I got my master's in OT and uh December 93. And I was so in love in art with art at the time. I kept taking night classes at the community college and I just loved art so much, but I never believed I could make a living from it. So after taking a, a number of classes for a few years, um, just with complete serendipity, I had an instructor who was a nurse by day, but then went on to get her master's in fine arts and sculpture. And I thought, well, she can do it. I can do it. Why does my education have to end? I love art so much. So I was thankfully accepted to Arizona State. And I moved there, I believe, in 99 to pursue my MFA. I worked weekends as a therapist, put myself through school. And then I moved to Chicago in 2004. And I, I have a, a unique lifestyle, I guess, and that I work three days a week as an occupational therapist. But I teach two days a week at Northeastern Illinois University in Chicago, where I teach both beginning and advanced painting. So it took a quite a while, but I do have the life I long for. I, you know, I'm, I'm able to teach. I'm able to be involved with the arts. I'm grateful to, for the stability of my occupational therapy job. And I, I have to honestly say in this long journey, my work as an occupational therapist has really impacted my artwork on so many levels. So I'm, I'm grateful that it, my life has taken the path that it has. Really nice balance. Well, one thing we want Thank to do you. too is as uh, kind of take dial you back to your origin. I mean, you know, where you grew up, early influences in art, like when you were in school, elementary, high school, middle school, and that. So, how you got to that point? You know, I, I went to Catholic schools where we didn't have art classes when I was mm -hmm. young. So, I when I couldn't pay attention, I would simply draw in the classroom, always drew the figure, always loved art, and, and never really 
was exposed to it to the degree I wanted to until I kept taking those night classes at the community college. And that's when I, I can say I truly fell in love with it. But I think I, I have to say, strangely enough, my training in occupational therapy helped me become so interested in the genre of the figure. Because to be an occupational therapist, you have to take a year of anatomy and we would dissect cadavers. And I remember being uh, having these tests where you'd go from cadaver to cadaver and there'd be little, little flags on all the muscles and you had to identify virtually every muscle in the body, the nerves, you had to talk about the origin and insertion. And so later then, you know, when I took these night classes in figure drawing, figure drawing became so much more interesting to me because I wasn't just drawing a model. I, I was drawing, you know, a, a living, breathing person, and I was imagining the muscles that were engaged at the time of the pose. So I can say that really kind of led to the art I'm making and still interested in making. So the neighbors exhibit to uh, Tom and Melinda for that and how they uh, hooked up with you and how you got brought into the South Shore Arts neighbors exhibit. Thank you. They were kind enough to email me and they said they had, they had followed my work for some time and always wanted to include me in the exhibition. And I was really touched by that. And I, I knew of Tom's work. I had seen a show at the Hyde Park Arts Center years prior and, and I knew of Linda. They both have such great reputation. So it was an absolute yes for me when I got that email. And I'm so happy with the artists I've gotten to meet from that show. I think if you haven't seen it already, the work is extraordinary. Um, and, and there's so much talent in one room that I'm very, very grateful for them uh, reaching out to me. And it's up through March 16th and at the South Shore Arts of the Bachman Gallery. And, uh, of course, we have uh, we have David just before your interview in this uh, show, and we've interviewed several of the artists involved with uh, the exhibit. So we're happy that uh, Tom and Linda got us connected with you. So, so um, you know, you told us how your work has sort of evolved because of your occupational therapy thing, but sort of explain to our audience, because obviously this is radio, we can't show them your pieces, what they could look for. Well, I have um, different periods in the in the neighbor's show. I have some earlier paintings, some drawings from a couple years ago, and then I have um, a few recent works. And the paintings that are in the exhibition really deal or evolve around the patients I've had with dementia. Because working in healthcare, uh, one of the hardest things to witness is someone that shows signs of dementia because it's something we can't change. All the therapy in the world cannot reverse Alzheimer's. And when I was a young therapist, I was asked to do long evaluations to determine if patients that showed early signs of, of memory loss were safe to continue living at home. And to some degree, I still do that. But when I was entering the field, I was always haunted by the fact that that my role and my assessment may have played uh, a part in this patient person being taken from their home to say a nursing home and in all actuality many people led into that decision there's doctors and nurses and social workers but I think that that led to just me thinking quite a bit about what it must be like to have dementia what it must be like to be placed in an alternative environment and that's really where the paintings um, arose from was this this fact that um, thinking about memory loss and what that must be like to experience. So what I did is I created these paintings that had an illusion of normality from a distance. 
Um, take, for example, the neighbor's exhibition. There's a painting of a blue geyser. From a distance, it looks, you know, relatively normal in its shape. But then as you come closer, you see that the painting is comprised of hundreds of multi-figured narratives. And I did that because with dementia, these patients appear so normal from a distance. But then as you get closer and you converse with them, you can find, you can see the deficits in memory or executive functioning or, or the slight changes in speech pattern. And these things aren't noticed um, initially. And uh, I wanted my paintings to, to represent the topic that I was seeing. And then as I got further along in my career, I had to ask myself, why was I so drawn to this topic? Why, you know, what is it about dementia? And, and, and I realized that it's because dementia represents something I can't change. And I happened to be raised in a very uh, religious upbringing. I was raised Catholic. My mom goes to church every day. And when I was a young girl, the stories of saints from my bedtime story. So I was raised to believe that a good person makes a difference always and just is unconditional in their love and always tries to constantly give. And I realized later in healthcare that there were times this wasn't possible to live up to these ideals. ideals. So in these paintings, I have narratives where you actually may see saints giving to other people, but you see other moments where young figures are turning away from these scenes. And it's my own struggle reconciling the fact that I may not live up to these expectations. And so these paintings were sort of really an exploration of um, what I was coming to terms with and what I saw at work. So thank you for asking. I, I hope that addressed your question. Oh, yes. So what brought you to using the transparent materials in your work? Thank you. That it initially started realizing that the narratives within my work weren't being seen. And, and to back up just a little bit, I know you recently interviewed Tim Lowley, who I adore. And I've, and I've been a fan of his work forever. And he came to see my show. And he's actually part of the reason I made it a shift. I had a show at the Packer Shop area in Chicago and Tim Lowley was there and he said, how does it feel that no one knows what you're saying? And I just, sometimes you have to hear it out loud. And I thought, you know what? He's right. I've got all these narratives, all these thoughts I'm having, but they're so embedded in the landscape and you have to get so close to this painting to see what I'm trying to say that my stories that mattered so much weren't being seen. So then I went to drawing and, and I would, I was simply, and these paint, these drawings are actually also at the neighbor's show, I would tone the paper with pastel and I started exploring some of these narratives now focused more on caregiving where the caregiver was, was risking her life to, to care for her loved one. And those were topics I was interested in exploring. And I did these, these carefully rendered drawings on pastel paper, but yet I somehow felt I could go further and I remember hearing about that time that really great art makes you, the media should, should support the content. And I did not feel that using pastel really supported this content that mattered so much to me, the topic of dementia, the topic of people disappearing. So I knew that I had to make a change. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media 89.1 FM on WVLP. 103.1 FM. So about yeah, this Pastel time, is so pretty. 
you know, it's, it's inherently pretty. so pretty. So it would be, it would be hard to. You're absolutely yeah. right. You're so you're absolutely right. And, and then what truly changed things was I was in a show at the Detroit Museum of New Art. And as part of being in the show was we had a 15 minute critique with the art critic, Jerry Salt. And I, it's amazing how he's so insanely smart where 15 yeah. minutes can change your life. But he looked at one of my drawings and it kind of speaks to what you just said. And he said, what's a carefully rendered drawing such as this going to do in today's contemporary art world? And when he said that, I knew exactly what he meant. When I did those drawings, maybe my content was somewhat unique, but my method was not. I was simply following the pattern of, of artists that went hundreds of years prior. And I did not want to be that type of artist. I wanted to forge a new path. And I wanted to have my content be represented in a more authentic way when a with a different medium. So he suggested that I look at the drawings of Eric Fischel. And I don't know if you're familiar with this work. I was not until I got the suggestion that Eric Fischel did these beautiful oil drawings on glassine paper. And if you're not familiar with glassine, glassine is like a wax paper. Back in the old days, they would use glassine to wrap up meat. <laughs> That's how it's got its origin. And then later it was used to protect pastel drawings. Because if you cover your pastel drawings with glassine, the, the pastel won't wipe away. So I looked at these images, I thought they were beautiful, and they, he would take one contour lot line drawing done with oil paint on a glassine piece of paper and over, place it over another contour line drawing, and then got these very unexpected narratives that I found very edgy, unique, uh, I, I was really mesmerized by them. So then I started working that way. And two of the works at the neighbor's show represent this. I have an image of a caregiver um, who's overlapped and, and you can see her at multiple levels. Some of, some of her images are light and faint. Some of her images are, are layered to be, you know, have stronger contra line drawings. And then you see her shielding and protecting her loved one from these menacing birds. Because I, I would see that a lot where the caregiver was putting their lives at risk to protect the loved one. So I started to explore these topics that mattered so much to me on Glassine. And it seemed to make sense to me because I was talking about the patient's disappearance. But I was talking also talking about the lack of identity that caregivers face. When you're caring for someone, you you it's so difficult to pursue your passions, to eat well, to, to do the things you love. Oftentimes your life is consumed with the care of another person. So layering these images and having these ghost-like qualities was a way for me to, to more fully represent this topic. But then what happened was working on glassine because the paper is so thin. And again, when I say wax paper, that's the closest comparison I can give your viewers. It's so thin that I had to put it behind a frame. And I, I couldn't come up with these very unexpected angled narratives that Eric Fischel had, which is what I wanted to do. So then I shifted to working on Duralar film. And Duralar film is, is quite a bit more durable. It doesn't rip uh, hardly at all. I can cut it out. I can pin it to the wall. 
I can make these images life size because, you know, seeing also how my mother cared for my father during the pandemic, I wanted to do this topic justice. I wanted the images to be large and bold and not be lost as they were in my paintings. But I did want certain parts of the image to gradually disappear because I did see my father's identity uh, disappearing from the person I remembered, as was my mother's and caring for him. So, so this Duralar film seems to have been the perfect uh, fit for me. And it's what I'm really engaged with right now. And, and I, I do not have those at the neighbor's show, but they're, they're seen elsewhere um, at the Miller Art Museum and Wabonzi Community College will be featuring those works on the Duralar film. Yes, when I saw those, there was such a musicality of movement and your mom was like a dancer to me in those. And it was the, I think it's the quality of, you know, using that film as well. It was really, you know, you could feel the weight of what she's doing, but she was doing it very gracefully. You know? Thank you. And I wanted to show the beauty of that too. Like you, not everyone can, can take that on it, it's very very difficult so the musicality that I wanted to show the beauty of it to the admiration I have for what she did mm-hmm. yeah that comes through you know I was struck by a, and I think it's a drawing where you have skeletal you know uh, well it looks like they might be herons or people on the ground and uh, tell us about that the echoes of flight one that's uh, kind of very engaging in, in so many ways well thanks for asking I've always found animals is interesting symbolism to express what I want to say. And I've, I've been enamored by birds because they represent freedom and escape, but yet they can be so threatening and they can symbolize the end of someone's life. So I, I did a residency in New York and I, I remember spending a half day at the Museum of Natural History. And I was just in awe by the bird skeletons because it's one thing to symbolically represent flight, but yet to show their skeletons to me represented the lack of freedom. And you see both the caregiver and the patient collapse below because I wanted to show how the caregiver and many times is going through just as much hardship as the patient. And sadly with dementia, um, you know, that, and maybe this isn't entirely sad because the patient doesn't realize the ramifications of, of the disease process, but um, you know, you, the caregiver can be caring so much for someone, but not be heard those verbalizations of gratitude because of the loved one facing um, this degenerative illness that affects their speech and their cognition and the ability to ex- express themselves. So a lot of times the caregiver is really in, in, in really a difficult position it, as much, if not more so as the patient. Yeah. Well, they get the full brunt of it. You know, lots of times yes. when somebody else comes in, be it, you know, a physical therapist visitor, there is something that clicks on in that brain that has dementia. And it's it's a different person. It's more, it's, you know, they, I don't know. I don't know if you have experienced that where with, you know, the full-time caregiver, there's a different personality and freedom mm-hmm. of... You know, there's a relaxing of like those social niceties that we, you know, have to do. So it's very, very confusing true. because, you know, my experience was like the, the the other auxiliary people that came in would be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so you're absolutely a lot, right. A lot but of layers. You're, you're, yes. 
Yes. Sometimes you can see agitation. You can see bliss. I mean, every person's experience with memory loss, Alzheimer's disease and dementia. My dad actually had a Parkinsonian disease Mm. uh, along with multiple strokes and Alzheimer's. I mean, it can manifest itself in so many ways and no two people's experiences really are the same. Um, It can be a very difficult road and a very isolating road too. Mm. As unique as our memories, you know? Yes. Yes. Very true. So, Mary, beyond this, do you have other work that you want to do that may be outside of this body of work, something completely different that you haven't done before? You know, thanks for asking. I I am thinking a lot about when someone passes, how really the world continues and you don't know what that what's going to be our future in this world. And um there's there's a group of paintings by Thomas Cole that I got to see in LA. Uh, and they talk about the history of the world. So the first painting is when the when the world forms and it's beautiful and it's exciting. And the second painting is when man and the world are in harmony with each other. The third painting, man causes wars. And the fourth painting, man disappears, but nature survives. And I, I think a lot about that. Like when someone passes, like what what does our future hold? What has been our impact? And I'm I'm thinking now with this Durlar film of exploring um, scenes from nature again, but painting the scenes from nature in an opaque way, because nature is not disappearing; it's changing form. But it's our loved ones that leave us, and and it's it's the nature that's left behind. And I've also been experiencing uh, experimenting with sculptures. This show at Wabanzi, I'm really excited about because I'm diving into some new work I ha- I've never done. It's not even been photographed. And I have a giant sculpture that's about 10 feet high. Um, I, it might even be eight feet wide. And it's a giant mound of walkers that I purchased used online. And I spray painted them white. And they're, um, there's, there's this giant mound and there's crutches coming out at different angles. Because I'm also struck by the fact that when a loved one passes, it's the equipment that remains. And yet the soul leaves. And, and, and there's such a magnitude of that too and and i'm and there's also there can be a lot of loneliness too when all the equipment is left behind and the person you love is no longer there um psychologic can be very very difficult for the loved one so i've been exploring those types of themes well we have a couple minutes left do you have uh, any uh, obviously the neighbors exhibit goes through march 16th but is there any other exhibits coming down the road you know later in uh, march april yes thank you for asking i'm in a two-person show at the Miller Art Museum in Sturgeon Bay. And I'm showing with my friend, Ellen Holtzblatt, who does the most beautiful paintings of her 100-year-old mother. And and I, I have to also say, it means a lot to me to have the elderly be more visible in the art world. And you don't see that very often. And, and Ellen does that beautifully, and it's an honor to show with her. And even if you can't get up to Sturgeon Bay, I highly recommend just checking out the show online. Check out her Instagram page. Check out the website for the Miller Art Museum. Um, I'll also be in a show, as I mentioned, at Wabonsi Community College, with op- which opens February 6th, runs until March 29th. And I'll be giving an artist talk on March 19th at 2 p.m. All are welcome. It's at the Arrowhead Gallery. And lastly, the new work from Mobanzi will be traveling to the Flex Space at the Riverside Art Center. And that opens April 7th and runs until May 11th. So I'm excited to share that with your viewers. Um, please come by and introduce yourself. 
And I just really want to thank you for this opportunity today. And very quickly, your website? Thank you. It's maryportafield.com. Okay. I I remember once I was asked by a collector, what's your website? I was so nervous, I forgot. And then I thought, (laughs) how could I forgot? And I got to my car, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's just my name. (laughs) But maryportafield.com is my website, and you can reach me there, email message me there at any time. And there'll be a link on our website, on your picture that's on our website. Mary Porterfield, artist who's in the uh, Neighbors exhibit, and that's running at uh, South Shore Arts uh, through March 16th. And if you have a chance to swing by, Mary, thank you so much for coming on Art in the Air and sharing your art journey. Thank yeah, you. Thank you very it's much. been a pleasure. Thank you both. Yeah. Thank you, Mary. We'd like to thank our guests this week on Art on the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Art on the Air is also heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP, 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org. If you have a smart speaker like Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or Apple Siri, just tell to play Art on the Air to hear the latest episode. Our spotlight interviews are heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operation for Lakeshore Public Media, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Lakeshore Public Media, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And for WVLP, Walt Reitinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art in the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself through art, and show the world your heart.